Coming up on What Women Want to Know. Young people are at risk of breast cancer, whether you're a female or a male. And over 6,000 young women under the age of 45 are diagnosed with breast cancer every year. So it's really, really important to know as young people we're at risk. I'm your host, Dr. Adana, and this is What Women Want to Know. The show where we navigate the complex, fascinating and sometimes intimidating world of women's health and well-being. Here, we create a safe, judgment-free space where no topics are off-limits. We confront our fears, we embrace our vulnerabilities and we find humour in the unexpected. Welcome to What Women Want to Know. Before we get into today's conversation, I want to personally invite you to join our growing community. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and don't forget to turn on the notifications so that you know when a new episode is live. We're live every Sunday at 6 p.m. GMT. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast, don't forget to follow us and leave us a review because your review helps me to be better. It makes me understand what sort of conversation that you want on this platform. And it also helps more women to find us, women who need to be part of these conversations. In a world where health awareness is critical to early detection and prevention, especially in the fight against breast cancer. It's essential to have open and informative discussions about this critical topic. Today's episode brings us to the heart of a field where compassion meets innovation and knowledge empowers action. Join us on the show today as we explore the vital aspects of breast cancer. Breast cancer. Breast cancer. Breast cancer. Breast cancer. This episode will empower you with the knowledge to take proactive steps in breast cancer awareness and prevention, ultimately contributing to saving lives and fostering a better informed society. Our guest today is Dr. Scarlett Nazarian, a general surgical registrar in London with a deep passion and expertise in breast cancer. Renowned for her educational content on TikTok, she has been instrumental in breaking down complex medical information into accessible content. Currently pursuing a PhD in cancer detection using artificial intelligence at Imperial College in London, Dr. Nazarian is leading the charge in harnessing technology for early and accurate breast cancer diagnosis. Through her expert insights, we will debunk the myths surrounding the disease whilst delving into the understanding that one is never too young to be vigilant, to recognize the symptoms and to learn about preventative measures. Please welcome Dr. Scarlett Nazarian. What women want to know. It's so excited to have you on the show, Dr. Nazarian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. You're an expert in this field. I've just spent a few minutes describing who you are and listing not even half of all the accolades that you have. So diving right into the conversation, what are the most common misconceptions about breast cancer that you've encountered? There are so many common misconceptions and, you know, unfortunately, I would be here all day 
talking about them, but the most common ones that I come across. First of all, people thinking that you have to be really old to have breast cancer. So mm. young people are at risk of breast cancer, whether you're a female or a male. And over 6,000 young women under the age of 45 are diagnosed with breast cancer every year. So it's really, really important oh. To know as young people that, you know, we're at risk and we need to be checking our breasts regularly in order to prevent and catch breast cancer early. The mm. other common misconception is it's an inherited disease. Someone in your family has had to have had it and therefore you're at risk. No, anyone can get breast cancer at any age. Unfortunately, cancer just does not discriminate and it can affect yeah. any one of us. Of course, you're at increased risk if your mother or your aunt or anyone or your sister has had mm. breast cancer but you're also a risk yourself and one in seven women in the UK are diagnosed with breast cancer so it can affect anyone. Yeah. yeah and it's more common than we think it is really. I do know a lot of people and family members with that misconception as well. Genuinely like as a young girl who really had the aspiration to be a doctor like I had my ear on the ground listening to everything about medicine and I as a young girl, really had that misconception that, you know, breast cancer or cancer in general. I used to think cancer was like a disease that affected only the elderly people, but now we know better. You talked about regularly checking your breasts so that there is early detection. How crucial is that in breast cancer? It is so, so important. And I can't emphasize that enough. We've yeah. shown through doing lots of research that if you detect breast cancer early, the five-year survival is 99% for localized breast cancer. That means wow. that we can almost basically cure you if you catch it early. So it's really important right. to check your breasts regularly, anything that seems abnormal to go to your doctor. I love that. Can you elaborate on the known risk factors for breast cancer? So you're at an increased risk of breast cancer, as we've mentioned, if you're from a family history where your mother, sisters had breast cancer. If you personally have had breast cancer, for example, in one breast, you're at increased risk of having it in the other breast. Increasing age, being a woman more than a man. So the risk is higher in women? Then, yes, absolutely. The risk is higher in women. If you drink alcohol, alcohol, obesity, and physical inactivity is also a, a risk factor. And then things like if you have your periods early, and if you reach menopause late, and by late, we mean over the age of 55, or if you have early periods around 12, which to be honest, a lot of us are, and that risk is small, but it's also a risk factor that we ask about. So, you know, there are okay. lots of risk factors that increase your risk. What are the symptoms of breast cancer? Because you've earlier mentioned that it doesn't really follow the pattern of, oh, somebody in my family has breast cancer, so I'm at a risk. There are other things that play a factor in having someone get diagnosed with breast cancer. So what is it that they should be looking for? The first thing I really want your viewers and, and the people listening to this podcast to know is that the breast isn't just this section here. It really extends very high to under the collarbone and it extends, if you imagine a line underneath your armpit all the way down the side of your body. So it's really important to know that your breast tissue can be 
in that whole region. And so when you're feeling your breasts, and when we say, you know, look for signs and symptoms of breast cancer, it's really important to make sure that the whole chest is covered. And some of the signs and symptoms include obviously a lump or a thickening, and that includes either on the breast or under the collarbone, as I've just said, or under the armpit. So it's really important to check there as part of your regular checks. And then it's things like, because it's not just a lump, and that's the other common misconception, is that only a lump means that you have breast cancer. Absolutely not. It is the most common, absolutely. But it's also really important to look out for other symptoms, such as nipple changes. So any inversion of the nipple, for example, any discharge from the nipple. So anything other than breast milk, if you're breastfeeding, any changes to the actual skin of the breast tissue. So any dimpling or puckering and then things like any skin changes. And by that, we mean a rash. So something like eczema on the skin or on the nipple area, any redness of the skin. So anything that you think just looks abnormal, therefore needs to be checked out. And the other thing I really, really want to make clear is that it's so important not just to be feeling to feel for a lump. We want to be feeling our breasts all the time to know what our normal is. You know, we want to be feeling our breasts and say, this is what my normal is. Yes, my friends out there, they have big boobs, small boobs, irregular sized boobs. But for me, this is my normal. I was just on a conversation with, with Dr. Aziza where she was really encouraging the viewers to pop a mirror down there and examine their vulva so that you know this is what my normal is. Because that's the only way that you're able to compare when something's abnormal. Exactly. And it doesn't matter where you are, in front of a mirror, in the shower, on the bed, watching your favorite TV program, whatever that might be, just pop a hand on your chest, feel your breath and see what's normal for you. Then when something abnormal pops up, you know that that's abnormal for you. And although, for example, a change in breast size can be a symptom and sign of breast cancer, for some, it's completely normal to have different shaped breasts. But someone who's got normally symmetrical breast shape and size, then that might be something to look out for and to see a doctor about. What women want to know. I'm going to go back to a few things you talked about. I mean, as somebody who has gone through medical school, you know that when they describe all of the changes to look out for in breast cancer, all of the skin discoloration and discharge and the redness, typically the models that are used are white breasts. I mean, I'm a black woman. I don't even have pink nipples. The, the color of my nipples, just FYI for anybody listening, is dark brown, right? How can black women who have been told to look out for a redness or a discoloration, how would you even know what that should look like in a black woman? You are hitting a passionate point of mine. This is an aspect of the whole of medicine that really I find passionate because as you said, I have so many patients come through my door who sit in front of me and unfortunately a vast majority of them just do not look like what you're supposed to see in these books. The perfect diagram that's drawn of the human body or of what we should be looking for and as you said, people have different coloured skin. So when it comes to looking out for these signs and symptoms, it's really important to 
be able to make aware women for example with black breath what skin changes to look out for because yes absolutely the redness on a white skin will be evident you know you'll see it there whereas on a black skin it'll be so subtle that of course you're going to miss the redness on your skin or a type of rash if you haven't seen photos of this rash in a book because all the photos are on white skin for example you're never going to be able to relate to that and think oh well i'm safe because actually my skin doesn't look like that but it could look like that and that's why it's so important to represent these women represent black women represent a whole range of people in these books and in these images and, and what we teach our younger generation as well. It does play a huge role in how breast cancer affects the outcome of these minority population, right? Because obviously the earlier it's detected, the earlier you can start treatment. That's when you have your 99% success rate. But if you're looking out for something that shows up differently on you, the prognosis is not going to be great when it's discovered at a later stage. So touching on disparities in healthcare access, it starts from the education, really, that we have all these groups, all these minorities in mind, brown skin, black skin, just have this range of diversity so people are aware of what to look for on their own skin type. I think that leads me to the next conversation, which is cultural barriers. How do cultural and societal norms impact breast cancer awareness and prevention? And to give a broader context, I'm going to refer to the conversation I had on the show where we talked about coming from cultures where mentioning all of the female genitalia is not common, right? And also the fact that there is a lot of hypersexualization around female bodies. So even when you're trying to raise awareness using platforms like, you know, social media or even in these cultures where these sort of topics are not really talked about, how, how do these cultural and societal norms really impact breast cancer awareness? You're so right in everything you've just said. You know, it's so difficult to sometimes penetrate the most vulnerable groups in society. And those groups are most at risk. And I think it's really important to start with open conversations and be transparent from a young age, teach and educate everyone and make that education as accessible as possible. In certain societies, it's easier to have these conversations, especially around breast and, you know, what to look out for, early signs and symptoms prevention, all of that. But then you have certain cultures where talking about female parts, it's like a taboo. The whole concept of feminism is taking off, you know, women empowerment, women independence, mm. whereas actually mm. in a lot of communities and in a lot of cultures, women still don't have that confidence. And so talking about breasts, talking about their boobs, talking about themselves, talking about their anatomy, they don't sit around a coffee table, go to brunch with their friends and say, oh, I felt a lump on my breast today. What do you think I should do? And da, 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 which is how it should be. We need to get used to talking about breasts, boobs, anatomy, anatomical words, make it something that isn't censored. And this is what, as well, I'm very passionate about, that social media needs to also accommodate this new health awareness. And yes. by accommodating it, it means allowing words like boobs, breasts, 
a photo of a lump on a breast that's showing the breast image you know we have to allow mm. that because otherwise how are we going to educate women and how are we going to educate yeah. anyone if we can't use those exactly. words if we're censoring certain words if we're finding yeah. it still taboo to talk about these topics you know I think it's yeah. so important to embrace that. Speaking of social media right I mean have you experienced being shadow banned because you've talked about breast or because you've created content to educate women about their breast and how have you navigated that I find social media very difficult because it's always these algorithms these you know yeah. it's like another world it's like being ghosted without knowing you're being ghosted like going on a date or finding someone on tinder and then showing up to the location and the person is not there because you know you put out these posts you want to educate but you're being yeah. banned by social media and by Instagram or whatever and you don't even know it you just can tell yeah. because suddenly you get no engagement the post yeah. does absolutely rubbish this is an important post trying to educate people but you can't get it out mm. there and if you can't get the views and you know if that's not being able to be spread far and wide you want to be able to empower women and you want to be able to spread awareness but it's difficult mm. to do when there's another power that stops that. And I think that's something yeah. that needs to be addressed for sure. And speaking about spreading awareness, right, you mentioned earlier that one of the myths is thinking that breast cancer happens only in the older population and the younger women being diagnosed. How important is it to have breast cancer awareness education very early on in the younger generation? And are you aware if this sort of education is already being incorporated in high school, for example? That's really important what you've just said is that because we've been to medical school and we've learnt about it as one of the conditions, we know about it. But for everyone else who goes to university and doesn't do a medical subject, they're not going to know about it. And so Mm. Absolutely. It's so important to educate younger people early and to get them to check their breasts. And of course, if their mums are checking their breasts, they should also encourage their daughters or their sons even to check their breasts. It's definitely something that I'm very passionate about. And I'm actually working mm. with a group of women who are introducing education for high schoolers. So we're going into high schools and actually teaching on breast models how to feel your breasts what to look out for and what to do and I think that's so important it started off because in North London especially Ashkenazi Jews are more likely to get because of the BRCA gene they're at higher risk of breast cancer and so it's really important to make aware especially women who are at higher risk either because of their family history or because of genetics how to check their breasts and so if we can teach them early, then that's an amazing, amazing, amazing wisdom we're imparting on them to be able to follow that through. One of your accolades happens to be that you are currently pursuing a PhD in cancer detection using artificial intelligence at Imperial College in London, which I think is so, so impressive. As far as AI, how is artificial intelligence being used to improve breast cancer detection and treatment? 
my research is in surgical innovation and also AI. And I love using this novel kind of technology that we have to be able to help patients and help patient care. AI is mm. now kind of everywhere, as we know. I feel like any business can just literally include AI to what they're doing. It's taking over. Yeah. And if we can take it over in a good way in medicine, especially when it comes to breast cancer and breast conditions, then that's amazing. So in terms of AI and breast cancer, AI's already been used for kind of image detection and helping, for example, radiologists when it comes to mammograms. So mammograms are sort of x-rays of the breast. And so AI can be used to help radiologists as a kind of second reader to help them detect mm. breast cancer better in these images, because sometimes we're all humans and so we can miss things. Whereas AI yeah. is this technology that is much more accurate and able to pick up these things better. And the other part of yeah. AI that can be used with breast cancer, and I, I do a lot of work with cancer detection intraoperatively, so in the operating room, is that when we take away breast cancer, obviously you're taking away a lump, but you want to try and preserve as much of the breast as possible. So you only want to take away mm. the bit that has the tumor and leave as much healthy tissue as possible. And there are ways now with AI that we can use devices in the operating room that will tell you which mm. area of the breast even if you can't see it with the eyes or feel it with the hands, are breast cancer and which areas are normal tissue so that you have a margin wow. essentially to remove mm. so that you're leaving behind as much healthy tissue as possible for that patient. That is powerful. I suppose similar to when social media took off and became popular, people focus more on the bad than the good. And that's not to say that there is no bad, but I think in situations like these where you are using technology or artificial intelligence as the case may be to advance medicine to preserve life to be more accurate in your surgical procedures I think is just phenomenal I'm excited to see where technology and AI take medicine you're right as long as we can just recognize the downfalls and the downsides yeah. but we must just embrace what this new technology can do for the future I mean it's amazing what women want to know As far as breast cancer care, what other technological advancements have been most significant? So there are lots of different sectors of management that have been improved, which is amazing. And they're constantly being improved, which is great. And that's the other thing with breast cancer, because it affects so many people. There is a lot of work towards making the management pathway better. And so the other thing that's kind of new and constantly evolving is immunotherapy. So the way mm. that we treat breast cancer and immunotherapy is essentially a way that we can use the uh, the patients or the uh, the body's own immune cells and immune system to target and essentially destroy cells cancer cells that is mm. and so if we can do that then that's amazing and and we can find ways of essentially the goal being to eventually find a vaccine that can just eradicate mm. breast cancer. So that's definitely yeah. something that, that has a lot of research going into it and is really exciting and interesting. Let's talk about patient empowerment, right? So a patient has recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. How can they be more empowered on this journey? 
One of the downsides of the way that we were typically or traditionally trained in medicine is to find the problem, solve it, patient is on the way. And more and more as the years have gone by, you realize that it's more effective to treat the patient as a whole, but their mental well-being, their quality of life, their support system, everything. And so how can patients be more empowered on their breast cancer journey? just covering what I feel it should be, as you said, treating the patient holistically, but also taking into consideration their mental health. I want to just recount a patient story that really kind of hit me, which was that we had a patient who'd just undergone a mastectomy. And I saw her afterwards on the ward. She was a very young patient. She was incredibly young. I think she was in her early 30s. And when I went to see her on the ward, obviously you don't see it when you're either operating on them or beforehand when you're consenting and things like that. But when you go and see them on the ward after their operation, you really see their life in a way in that in that room. Mm. And I saw her holding her baby. How old was the baby? The baby was nine months old. And this is the thing, breast cancer can affect anyone. And people think that if they're pregnant or they're breastfeeding, they shouldn't check their breasts, but they absolutely should. And that's the other thing I want to urge people to do is that during pregnancy and breastfeeding to check their breasts. And this patient saw her holding her baby, just that image, it really grasped at my heart as it were. But it was one of those things where she obviously couldn't breastfeed the baby, but she had the bottles next to her and she was holding it. And she had her her mum there and her parents there and her husband there. And I think it's so important to have a strong support network. Mm. And of course, she was down about the whole situation. I mean, she was upset even when we were seeing her and when we were consenting her and everything. But it's all about seeing this patient. And I thought, right, This is someone who's obviously going through so much. And as a new mum, having to deal with a new diagnosis, you know, not knowing what's going to happen, we must consider the mental health aspects of this as well. The anxiety. Mm. I mean, on top of the baby blues, which normal people get, she's probably going to have possibly depression, you know, if she's not helped or supported. And people forget also the kind of the body image aspect of it. You know, she's just had a mastectomy. Mm. She, She doesn't have one breath. You know, she's probably worried about that and what's going to happen to her. And so I think it's really important to look at this patient and say, how can I help her in all aspects? Not Mm. just how does her Mm. wound look and what's in her drain and and is it okay from an an operative point of view, but also how's her mental health? How is she going to get through this? When can I get the cancer nurse specialist to see her about certain things? What can I tell her Mm. family and how? I can involve them what support networks Mm. and counseling and people I can get her in touch with that she can talk to to help her along the journey and is that something that you typically do like in the hospital that you work in specifically is it routine then to suggest what groups they can attend for support or to refer them to mental health specialists As we know, the NHS is obviously something, the one good thing is this MDT approach. You know, you have a multidisciplinary team approach to it and you have lots of different teams that have a say in a patient, which is brilliant. And of course, we try our hardest to try and get all these teams involved and to provide all the resources we can. Obviously, Mm. given the strains on the NHS, it can sometimes be difficult to provide them with everything, but we try as much as possible, of course, to try and tackle all these 
different kind of aspects. This has been really insightful because a few of the things I wanted to cover with you on the conversation today was around, you know, mental health and breast cancer, breast cancer and pregnancy, because you've just debunked one of the myths where women could think that if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, then you can't get breast cancer. But that is one of the myths that I wanted to really explore. And you have covered that. Something else was the role of social media. You are a renowned TikToker. I love watching your content. They're very educational. I love it. Of course, we've explored the barriers of using social media as a medium or as a platform to educate, especially when you're talking about female genitalia or all of our body parts that have typically been sexualized and either the disadvantage of that or how that could play a negative role in amplifying the content that we really want to be out there. So I'm probably going to end on the future of breast cancer research. I mean, what are the most promising areas of breast cancer research today? Very recently, there was a news article and there was a study in The Lancet, which showed that a new medication, for example, um, called anastrozole, I shouldn't say new because it's been around for a long time. We actually use it for breast cancer treatment in postmenopausal women. Mm. And it's essentially a medication that we give that reduces or inhibits the uh, production of estrogen. And this has been shown to actually help prevent breast cancer in this group of women. The study was done on people over the age of about, I think it was 45 or 50. So in this group, it can also be used as a preventative measure as well as being mm. used as treatment. And so that's amazing. If we can yeah. prevent breast cancer even, you know, occurring, then mm. we're doing amazing things. And you get information like that based on, you know, the research, the opportunity to conduct research is what gives us this new data, this new insight, this new perspective. Absolutely. And as a researcher, I am really, really, again, passionate about continuing research, you know, helping and working with charities and organizations to be able to fund all these research opportunities. If we learn more, if we know more, then we can do more as well. What a perfect way to end the conversation. Thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, Dr. Nazarian. Thank you so much, Dr. Adana. You are a powerhouse yourself. So I've been honored to be on this podcast and I hope that it helps lots of women and raises as much awareness for breast cancer as possible. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. What women want to know. What a pleasure to have Dr. Nazarian on the show. I have definitely learned a lot more. She's an expert in this field and sharing her insights have been very, very valuable. And I hope you found it valuable. My take home from this conversation is that number one, breast cancer is very common. There are lots of myths around it, myths that I had to debunk by myself after studying medicine. But prior to that, I personally thought breast cancer affected elderly women. I thought you had to absolutely have a member of your family who had breast cancer to get it. And whilst that's the case, for me, I didn't grow up having access to my grandparents' records or my great-grandparents' records because it just 
wasn't documented properly. Plus also, they really left seeking medical help to the absolute last minute. So based on that, it was very difficult. It still is very difficult for me to fully understand what is my family history and what diseases have my grandparents gone through. And so to that regard, because I don't have as much information, it's in my best interest to make sure that I do all of the checks that are necessary, whether it's my breast or my vulva or my blood pressure or my eye anything it's been in my best interest to make sure that I stay on top of my health and that is the purpose of this show anyway it's about women's health and well-being so check your breast regularly is more common than we think but the prognosis of breast cancer is very good the chances of you being cured, the tumor being resected, if it's picked up early, is very, very high in breast cancer. A big thank you to you for tuning into today's conversation. If you're watching on YouTube, please leave your comments below. What did you enjoy about the episode? What feedback do you have? I love reading your comments and responding to them. If you have any suggestions about what topics you'd love for me to unravel on the show, please also leave them in the comments below. If you're listening as a podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your feedback not only helps us to improve, but it also helps other women to find us. And don't keep us a secret. Share what women want to know with your network with your friends, your mothers, your sisters, your daughters, but not only the women in your life, also the men as well. You can find us on every social media platform, so make sure to follow along. That's our show for today. Remember, your health matters and it's okay to talk about it. Until next time, I'm Dr. Odana and this is What Women Want to Know.